Support for the Soundwriter Show is provided in part by Adventure Motorsports, Stomish County's largest selection of Yamaha and Suzuki motorcycles, ATVs, quads, and UTVs are available in Monroe at Adventure Motorsports. Celebrating a decade of top-rated sales, service, parts, and accessory support, hit the road and visit Adventure Motorsports today. Hi, this is Rich from Rich's Custom Motorcycle Seats, and welcome to the Soundwriter Show. Now live from the Crow's Nest Studio in beautiful downtown Broadview, Washington, join us for the latest episode of the Sound Rider Show, a candid hour featuring the people, places, and things that make up the fabric of one of the top motorcycle riding destinations in the world. And now here are your hosts, Tom Marin, Derek Roberts, and whoever else happens to drop by today. Oh, my brain is like jello. What's going on, Tom? We're at the rally in the gorge, and I've been working for like nine days straight. That's why you sound different, and you sound happy. Well, that's just gin and tonic over here. That'll do it, too. Yeah. So we got a live audience here. Audience, are you there? Yeah! All right. Live at the rally in the gorge for the first time ever, our first live broadcast. And I don't know about you, but I am just excited for this broadcast as I am for the entire rally coming up here over the next few days. Oh, yeah, because there's great stuff coming up. you got the fun run tomorrow. And uh, we've got the Mary Hill on Saturday, so it's going to be good. We've got a whole list of things going on, but we also have a jam-packed show today, and this is the August show, excuse me, the September show, which is going to be September uh, 16th? No, wait, 1609. It's going to come in September at some point. That's right, 1609 is the episode number, and uh, what has been going on in the world of motorcycling here in the Pacific Northwest? Have you seen anything uh, great out there lately, Tom? Well, I know you did, because I know you just came back from a trip into Canada, and there's an exhibit at the Dealey Museum that you want to talk about. That's right, so I was up in uh, Vancouver, and uh, for those of you who may not be familiar with uh, the greater Vancouver, Vancouver area there... The Dealey exhibit is part of uh, Dealey Harley-Davidson, and they also have a nice museum there, which is actually comprised of a collection of over 240 motorcycles. And at any given time, they will have probably about 60 to 80 on display, usually a rotating sort of uh, exhibit feature that they do. And this time it was called Motorcycles and Cinema. So do you know anything about uh, mo- motorcycles in movies? So I'm guessing this had like stuff about on any Sunday or maybe faster. So or... it did, yeah. It had a lot of those big highlights, but it also had um, sort of some references to bikes in movies like Purple Rain with Prince. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or uh, Indiana Jones. They had, uh, what is it, the, um, it's the Ural knockoff, the D-N-P-E-R, the sidecar there. Um, But basically the reference to this was they don't have the actual bikes from the movies, but they're trying to tie in pop culture with some of the bikes in the collection here. And they had some really good stuff, you know, back to some old, like, 1912 Harley-Davidsons, some Superiors, Indians, Hendersons. They have a little bit of the Mad Max from Thunderdome in there? I don't think I saw Mad Max, which Hmm. is kind of disappointing. What's your favorite motorcycle movie, though? What's that? What's your favorite motorcycle movie? Do you have one? I don't have one. Do you have a favorite... Movie, motorcycle moment? Well, I really like Dust of Glory. Anybody like Dust of Glory? Yeah. yeah, because it's just so well done. And it's to me, it's right up there with On Any Sunday. And both those movies, for me, when I watch them, uh, I see something different every time, no matter how many times I've seen them. That's true. That's a good selection. You know, my favorite motorcycle moment, and it's, well, it's sort of a motorcycle moment, but are you familiar with the Expendables franchise? Uh, it's like an animated thing that I can't hear when I go to movie theater. No, yet. it's not the animated one. It's the Sylvester Stallone one. You know, oh. the, old, the old action heroes there. I think, okay. in the, I think in the third one, they launch a Rokon, you know, the two-wheel drive uh, little mini bike sort of thing. Uh-huh. I think they take down a helicopter with that. I think that's my favorite yeah, movie. That's, yeah, that's what they're good for. Yeah, well, they're practical in that you know, respect. You can take down helicopters. <laughs> you can do some farming and that kind of thing. But a great exhibit up there anyway. So if you're in the Vancouver area, this is just about 10 miles west of downtown. Over 240 bikes. The Dealey family uh, has actually been in the motorcycle business for over 100 years. Yeah. They have a yeah. really rich history. So definitely something to check out if you're in the area up there. Yeah. In fact, I don't know. I haven't done it before. But I bet you it would be interesting to look on Wikipedia and look up Dealey and learn a lot, some of the history of the family because their roots are deep. It's pretty fascinating. And if you go there, the curator uh, can tell you a little bit more about the family. But, you know, there's a pretty good motorcycle exhibit here, too, as part of the Western uh, Aeroplane was the Airplane and Automotive Museum just yeah, down right the here in Hood here, River. Right? Now, what do they have, about 30 or 40 bikes down about there? About 30 40 bikes. And uh, anybody who's here at the rally, there's a coupon up at the front desk. I think it's a two-for-one or a, a half-off admission. 
And so while you're here, I would highly recommend you go down and take a look at the collection. Plus, there's a lot of nice warbirds and other airplanes and some cars and cool stuff. Yeah, a good way to maybe uh, stretch out a couple of those mid-afternoon hours and some of the uh, afternoon heat, too, get into a little yeah. uh, air conditioning. Yeah, so. if it's getting a little hot out there, maybe it's time to pull it into a, into a museum. So uh, outside of that, um, why don't we get into kind of the news bite segment? Usually we do that as a separate take, but we've got some things on the news uh, that kind of might be worth talking about here in the Pacific Northwest. All right. Well, the first one uh, that came across the radar the other day was a Scully helmets out of Portland. Did anybody uh, do the uh, hand the the little investment in that one? So that was a Kickstarter campaign that they the had. The Kickstarter on that, campaign, right? yeah. So they were going to make helmets, motorcycle helmets, and they got a lot of money in that Kickstarter campaign. And then uh, things didn't go as planned, and they saw, uh, you know, things like strip clubs getting paid for and that sort of thing. Not, not really working on making those motorcycle helmets. Now, do you know, I haven't had a chance to look in this too much. Does it look like the helmets are ever going to come to fruition here? Or are the, no, they're uh, saying it's not. Okay, so that's yeah, never going to happen. They're saying it's over. And then uh, now our Kickstarter campaign, speaking of strip clubs and all that, that starts pretty quick, or is that? Well, yeah, because our Kickstarter yeah. campaign is just about building ki- strip clubs. Oh, so, okay. I got gotcha. So if you buy into it, you it's know what you're different. getting. Right. Okay. And we'll see. Who knows? Maybe uh, we'll buy out the remaining shares of Scully, and we'll bring that back to life, too. Uh, all right. But on a more serious note, down in California, kind of some big news coming through. Official big news, anyway. Yeah, official, because it's been unofficial for so many years. But they have officially written the uh, code for to allow lane splitting, or I guess we would call that lane sharing. So how does everybody feel about lane splitting? I mean, are we on board with that? So it seems like the majority of the motorcycle population seems to back this. Now, we've had... Some instances here in Washington in the last couple of years where we've tried to get that through. Excuse me, we're in Oregon, but up in Washington where they've tried to get that through. And it seems to be kind of sticking up in the house and that kind of thing. What do you think is the holdback from other states adopting this? They don't ride. They don't ride. I heard that from the audience. Yeah, that's a... uh, that's a good point, certainly. But what do you think from like uh, a legal standpoint and that kind of stuff? Well, now? one of, one of the holdbacks is the state patrol who says that it's not safe. Right. So, and I don't think they're going to stop saying that anytime soon. Uh, and it also takes a lot of years of lobbying this kind of legislation to get it to get it massaged out where all the verbiage is just right. And then you know, I I don't know if people get tired of dealing with it and finally say, yeah, it's okay, we'll we'll pass it now or whatever. But it takes a long right. time to get that stuff through. It does seem to take a lot. What do you think? Because originally, obviously, this just passed. August 23rd, this just passed. And this has been sort of more or less common law for, I don't know, decades? I mean, as long as anybody can remember, right, down in Well, California. yeah, because down in California, they didn't have anything that said you couldn't do it. Right. We do. Okay, so there's a... So that's why it was always legal to do, because there was nothing on the books about it. Okay, so now, though, if you're down in California, you uh, have been authorized by the uh, state government, more or less. They did mention in some of the news pieces that I saw on this that they were going to be working with the California Highway Patrol to kind of start to build some sort of curriculum training suggestions into the motorcycle training down there. So what it'll do is it'll it'll create the, the basis of verbiage that will probably be used by other states in the future if, right. it, if it works. Would you be a lane splitter if it were legal up here in Washington and Oregon? Uh, to a reasonable degree, but yeah. not to an unreasonable degree. If it's a dead stop traffic or five miles an hour, I'd probably be splitting lanes. If it's moving at 30 or 40, uh, no way. Roll with the punches there, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, we're getting a little bit of uh, information from the audience. Was that about the stoplights? So legal up to 30 miles an hour, it sounds like. More or less is, is kind of the general guideline. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Well, that's good to know, definitely. And maybe that's something that will gain some steam back here in some of these other northwestern states. I know I'd like to see it, especially in that. We'll pit- do an article on it. Yeah, in that pitiful yeah. downtown Seattle traffic, though, I would split. <laughs> yeah, I'd be lane split. I'd go on the sidewalk on that, wouldn't I? So, so let's say, though, that they do uh, authorize or legalize lane splitting here in, like, Oregon or Washington. And maybe because, you know, some of the other cars on the road aren't going to be familiar with it just yet. You want to borrow somebody else's bike. What would be a good way to maybe do oh, that? Oh, he's going to the next item now. Yeah, yeah, let's transition there. Yep. So this is one we saw come across a wire today. Is There's a new company called Rider Share down in California. 
and uh, they're doing uh, peer-to-peer motorcycle sharing. So you can put your bike online and uh, have it up for rental. How now, many people would do that? I saw one of two hands. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. No, I feel like they missed an opportunity here to call this Airhead BNB. Right? Doesn't that make more sense? If you drive, if you ride an airhead, well, yeah. I don't know. Good place to start, anyway. But I don't think that I'd ever be on board with uh, loaning my motorcycle to a more or less complete stranger. I, I guess that maybe that would be a way that rental companies could have a second way to work through doing some more rentals. What are the chances that this takes off? Is this something that we're going to see in other markets? Do you think? What's the over under here at the? I uh, don't think it's going to be popular. What do you yeah. think? Anybody? What's the crowd kind of reaction here? We get a lot of head shaking, yeah, a lot, a lot of, of thumbs, thumbs down. down. But then again, these are, as we always talk about every year, these are dedicated riders here, though, right? So these guys ride their bikes. These guys and gals out here, they ride their bikes. What about people, you know? Well, where does the liability wind up when the guy rents my 1972 SL350 and then the front brake cable breaks and he goes through a wall or something? I think that they, uh, they probably take you down on that. I think that yeah. you're going to see the, uh, the issue probably come back to you and uh, you'll be paying out some money. I would imagine so. I don't know how you could get around that. <laughs> yeah, it's just a matter of time. I don't know. Hey, it's just a lawsuit. Maybe that'll be the next one where you can share lawsuits. Right? So you want to take a little break and we'll come back with the calendar? Well, let's come on back on the other side of the calendar at the 2016 Rally in the Gorge. Support for the Soundwriters Show is provided in part by... Moon Motorcycles, a family-run operation located in Issaquah, Washington. Moon Motorcycles features a diverse selection of used bikes to choose from. Whether you're shopping for a used sport bike, cruiser, dual sport, sport touring, or street standard, you owe it to yourself to visit Moon Motorcycles and look over their large inventory. Have you got a used bike you want to consign? Get in touch with Moon Motorcycles today. Hi, this is Brendan Ferrer from South Sound Motorcycles, and you're listening to The Sound Rider Show. Hi, I'm Ellen. My primary bike is a Honda CTX 700, and my favorite ride is Washington Route 101 out to Long Beach Peninsula. calendar segment here on the sound rider show and just because we're rolling into september doesn't mean that there's not a whole lot going on here in the pacific northwest starting out on the third uh, and the fourth we got some flat track racing going on let's have you got uh, flat track racing in washington at the rainier cycle bowl and on the fourth down at the oregon state fair you know it always amazes me when we do the calendar how much flat track racing is going on here in the pacific northwest that seems to be uh, extraordinarily popular whether it's in Oregon, whether it's in Washington or Idaho, it seems like every month there's a couple of them to at least go and check out. I think it's a making, making a combat. Yeah, definitely. So. And uh, a little bit after that, on the 8th, we're talking about the Heart of Idaho rally. What do you know about the Heart okay, of Idaho? Okay, so here's what I know, and this is what people yeah. need to know, is that this, this rally is probably canceled because um, it's very, very, very smoky over there right uh-huh. now, and they don't expect the fires to be out by that date. So if you were thinking of going to the Heart of Idaho Rally, I highly recommend you get on Soundrider. You check out the link that takes you to the website for it and find out if it's really happening because it may not be. You don't want to break your heart and fill your lungs full of smoke. And normally, where do they host this? Do you know which city the Heart well, of Idaho Rally is? Well, this is new. They want to do this in uh, Chalice, Idaho, which is very close to the Chinese Wall Railroad Ridge area. Okay. And that is uh, really enticing if you're a dual sport rider. Lots of good dirt out there for sure. But if you're not going to be able to make it there on the 8th because of the forest fires, maybe you could come back down to the region here and go to the Columbia Gorge Interpretive Center in Stevenson. So there's a motorcycle show and swap meet at the Columbia Gorge Interpretive Center in Stevenson on the 10th. And uh, this is the first time they've done this, but the guy who's putting it on is is uh, a rider himself. And... Uh, I think he's going to do a good thing. If, if I Sometimes I come down here a couple weeks after, so I may want to go to that. Uh, you could actually make a really full day out of this gonna because... I going to say, lots going on on the 10th. That's the second Saturday of the month, and everybody knows who listens to this show that that's when the Wham Museum, Washington Antique Airplane Automotive, Automotive Museum, right. 
that has motorcycles uh, has their Saturday where they pull the bikes out, put them on the lawn. Uh, they're flying airplanes overhead, the whole thing. So, Everything 100% operational at that museum, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, MotoFit has their last track day over at ORP. A lot of people here at the rally today were able to go over and ride a parade lap at the uh, Oregon Raceway Park. So that's happening. Um, this is one that uh, no one ever wants us to talk about, but everybody wants to know when a date is. On the 11th of September is the Isle of Vashon TT. That's the poker run that's put on by the vintage motorcycle enthusiast. And that's just up in Washington each and every year, I think, right? Yep, and it's usually the, uh, the Sunday after or the Sunday before Labor Day. On the 16th is the Big Nasty Hill Climb in Idaho. And uh, this is a major deal. This is a, this is a Big Nasty Hill Climb. Right. <laughs> Have you ever seen the, uh, the photos or anything from it? It looks like it's pretty gnarly out there. It does look nasty. I don't, oh, yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a, most people don't get up to the top. Yeah, what do you think? Uh, gonna and then ha- at nighttime, it's like its own little bizarre party. They got people with pickup trucks with trailers connected to them, and on the back of the trailer is like a jacuzzi. <laughs> it's uh, the party's going down in Idaho for Sounds sure. Sounds like my kind of crowd there. Are you going to uh, maxi scoot it up the side of the hill on that this year? Are you thinking of a shot? You no, know, I think I'm going to put a paddle tire on the back of my maxi scooter. Dig I'm going to extend out the uh, the uh, swing arm there and see yeah. if I can make it up. I probably would win the scooter class no matter. What? I would think so. Well, you get the paddle tire, I'll get the truck with the hot tub, and I'll meet you out there. How's that sound? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Did anybody else in the audience have anything else to add to the calendar section? Otherwise, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to have the um, Moto Old Man interview, is yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. Well, with Old Man Moto or Geezer. Old uh, Man Moto, That's yeah. it, on the other side of the break. Support for the Soundwriter Show is provided in part by... The MotoFit Group, providing track days in both Oregon and Washington. The MotoFit Group helps riders experience the next level of their riding abilities and takes them to the zone where the bike and rider become one. Find out more or sign up for a track day today at themotofitgroup.com. Hi, this is Don Doherty with All Moto Tire, and you're listening to The Sound Rider Show. Hi, I'm Debbie from Preston. Some of my favorite roads are around Mount St. Helens and around Mount Adams. Sound Rider Show, and we're going to do something a little bit different, something we haven't done here on the uh, on the podcast before. We're going to get some old-time wisdom here. What do you think we should call this segment, Tom? Uh, well, you want to call it Old Man Moto, and yeah. I want to call it uh, Geezer Trash. <laughs> <laughs> so Old Man Moto slash Geezer Trash. But, you know, you guys have been riding a long time. Lee has been riding for how long now? Believe it or not, at my ripe old age, I've only been riding for nine and a half years. Only for nine and a half years. So you started when you were 95 or? Uh, no, it's all right. <laughs> all jokes aside, though, no, you've been riding a long time and you've been all over the, uh, all over the world now in just those nine and a half years, right? That I have. I've been yeah. on five continents. Yeah. And uh, what are your favorite places to ride, do you think? You still like the Pacific Northwest or? I absolutely love the Pacific Northwest yeah. because there are so many varieties. Well, good deal, man. Well, we're happy to have you here on the show. and We do look forward to some of that wisdom. How many miles do you think you have under wheel by now? I have a 14, 2014. I've got 23,000 miles on it. Okay. That's uh, in the nine and a half years? No, that can't be nine and a half years for the 2014. 2014 is just a year and a half. Okay. That's what I want to hear. Yeah. He's, he's, uh, Derek's kind of young, Lee. Yeah, he's still well, not got the math he, thing together. He didn't have his, he didn't have his shoes I, off. I struggled, yeah, nine and a half years ago there. I think he rode here today in ballerina shoes. <laughs> well, they, look, they, they look pretty he, good, though, he, I he think. He was right on well. point, though. Right. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about gear, though, because I want to ask you. I saw another old-timer just the other day, actually, in downtown Seattle. What was he, 45? Uh, <laughs> I think he was. 
I think he was in probably his 60s, if I had to guess. Oh, my God. Yeah. And uh, this gentleman, he had an open face helmet on. He had a T-shirt on. And uh, he had shorts on. And he had tennis shoes on. What do you guys think of that for kind of appropriate riding gear? Sounds like he was beating the heat. Sounds to me like his wife dressed him. <laughs> do, you, do you think that's appropriate motorcycle gear, though? I mean, would you guys ever ride in shorts in particular? Uh, well, it's not appropriate for me. Yeah. But that's my personal choice. And, I got gotcha. you. Know, we have to let everybody make their personal cho- choice. And if they spend time in the ER getting gravel pulled out or they lose, you know, they leave a family behind, I guess that's what they call their personal choice. But Sure. My personal choice is uh, I want to do whatever I can to not be in pain if I come off the bike, and, and I don't know. Yeah, so ever worn shorts, though, on a bike? Have you ever ridden ever at all on, with shorts on? Uh, there's pictures on the Internet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, my, my attitude is I've lived too long growing what I've got around me. I don't want to lose it. Well, that's a good strategy, I suppose, yeah. I, I have to admit, going back to high school days, I had a Lambretta motor scooter, and I did wear flip-flops to work one day, and as I made a left turn, I passed over an area that the street sweeper had just been, and it was very muddy and slippery, and you know what happened, and it sure tore up the feet. So, uh, Is that why they call you Nine-Toe Lee? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Sloth-Toe. So what do you think, though? I mean, maybe if this guy had, like, a high-vis vest on. Do you think high-vis works? Is that going to help him be safer? I, uh, I am a strong advocate of that. I wear a vis vest. Vest. I also wear a high-vis helmet. Do you know, Tom, has there been any studies done or anything like that in regards to high-vis? Uh... Well, there was a study by UW on tropical frogs. <laughs> Which is the color of your jacket. Is that what we have right now? Yeah, tropical yeah. frog green. Uh, you know what? It's not a bad idea to, to make yourself as visible as you can, but it's not the ultimate deal. The ultimate deal is what's going on upstairs in your brain. Where's your peripheral vision? Are you watching for the guy who, even though you look like a tropical frog, he doesn't see you because they're out there. So you got to ride like that no matter how bright, no matter what you do to your headlight, no matter how long you extend your your blinkers out or whatever, you know. So we're talking about those street vision and that kind of thing. Do you guys have any tips for improving one street uh, vision? Do you have any techniques or anything that you use? I do. You? Uh, I would have to say I believe in lights. I have a set of auxiliary lights. I have added a license plate frame that when I let off on the gas begins to blink red, knowing, letting the people behind me know that I am slowing down. But again, I agree with Tom that the most important uh, computer aspect, the mechanical thing you can have is what's between your ears, and you look out for yourself. So, Derek, are you saying, are you asking me the question about vision, what I do with vision, or? Yeah, do you have any techniques for when you're out there? Do you have any sort of mental exercises that you go through to kind of make sure that you do keep your head out and uh, keep the tabs on the traffic around you? Yeah, if I'm if I'm screwing up on the bike, it's obvious that my uh, I'm not looking far enough ahead. Sure. If I'm going through a corner and I have to grab the brakes because I went in too fast, I didn't have my eyes out far enough to begin with because that's where all the algebra happens. Is the farther you can look ahead, then you can uh, make the decision to roll off the throttle at the right time. And if I'm you know thinking about somebody trying to uh, send me a text through my Bluetooth in my helmet, my eyes wind up over here, I, I'm not going to see that corner. So. That's true. So keep, uh, keep a looking in the distance, it sounds like, is kind of a good tip. The further ahead you look, then the better you are in terms of controlling the throttle, the brakes, what you do, when you do it. So that's a great tip for when people are first getting into riding. And we've talked before uh, on some of the motorcycles that would be a good choice for new riders. Uh, usually we talk on the Sound Rider Show about having kind of a lower power, 250cc, 350cc. But I'm wondering, what do you guys think about getting started on a scooter? Well, I did uh, back in those early youths. Sure. Uh, I think it's excellent for a younger person. I don't think a, an adult gets the benefit of what a motorcycle truly feels like with a scooter, but I do go along with the lower horsepower and CCs. 
So definitely a smaller engine to start. Correct. Same thing, though, on a scooter. Would you ever send a new rider off on a 600cc scooter, or do you think that's just too much power? Uh, again, letting him go. <laughs> it's going to be my turn any moment. Yes, yes. Uh, again, I think having the lesser horsepower to begin with is a good idea because you tend to have the time uh, to practice the kinds of things that Tom has mentioned, using your peripheral vision, looking to your left and right, seeing whether cars are moving out of side streets, driveways, what have you. Uh, when you're speeding along at, on a 650, anything, uh, you have a tendency to overlook those things and not use those sensitivities as much as you should. Sure. So get started on something low-powered, whether it's a scooter or uh, a dual-sport bike, whatever it is. Try to keep it to 250, Learn your balance. Learn right. how the machine uh, responds to the things that you do. Sure. And what's your take, Tom? My take is I love my scooter. Right. <laughs> I love my big maxi scooter. 600cc Honda Silverwing, and uh, I have a blast on it. Uh, it, it certainly has its drawbacks. It doesn't take a pothole as well as a larger motorcycle wheel does. But uh, uh, it's a blast to ride, and it's a whole different ball game when you're talking about compression and rolling off the throttle because you don't get as much compression when you do. Sure. Uh, but definitely, even though I love the bigger scooter, if I was going to suggest to a new rider, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you want to try a scooter, I would never want them to get on, right onto a 600. I'd like to see them on a 125 or a 250. 250 will get them on the highway when they're ready to go. Absolutely. And to uh, follow up on that, for new riders, do you guys have anything that, if you were to start again, is there anything early in your motorcycling career that you wished somebody would have pointed out to you? Training. Training. So take a class, like what, every year, every two years? What do you think well, is Well, I'm a big advocate of taking training every, every other year at least, some sure. kind. And, you, and we got all kinds of good stuff here. You could take uh, sidecar training even though you don't want to ride a sidecar. Sure. Uh, you could go take the dirt first training. Uh, you may not want to ride a dirt bike, but uh, if you keep your chops up and you go and you get in front of an instructor every couple of years, it could tell you some of your bad habits, things that you could be doing better, and maybe you'll walk away with something from a dirt first training class that you'll apply when, in your street riding, or you may, might walk away with something from a track day that you're going to apply in your street riding. Well, I think that's a great point is a lot of times people think, you know, I'm not going to be a racer. Why would I ever do a track day? But there's a lot to learn. I mean, racing is the genesis for a lot of engineering development, but it's also the genesis for a lot of skill development as well. It's also where you get to know your bike better. Right. So you know what its abilities are. So if you want to, like, you know, jam your brakes into a corner because they're, they're saying that's the exercise, then you're comfortable doing that. So if you need to do it later on in the street, you have that confidence that you can throw those brakes on and not have the whole bike come out from under you. Sure. Well, how about you, Lee? Anything uh, nine and a half years ago that you wish somebody would have let in for you? I wish I'd started a lot sooner. Right. <laughs> <laughs> There'd be a lot of more miles under my belt. Well, outside of that uh, scooter many years ago, what was your first bike nine and a half years ago? A 600. A 600, okay. A six, Honda 600 uh, Shadow which I had to sit on the pillion because I've got sort of long legs. Right. And I had that for about three months, put about, uh, oh, close to 6,000 miles on it, believe it or not. Yeah. And uh, said, this, you know, this is killing me. I can't stand this uh, sitting so far back. I had to look like a sport <laughs> bike. Uh, so I went out and got an 1100, and I absolutely love that. Sure. And now uh, you're on the 2014, and what model is that? That's the RT, the BMW RT, water cool. And that one's been treating you pretty well? You're pretty happy with that selection? I absolutely yeah. love it. That'll be the one they... Uh... He really likes riding it in between the recalls. <laughs> <laughs> Always tough with the BMWs there, but a hell of a bike, though. I mean, obviously that one... Is that what you had down in South America when you were... Uh... No, no, no. I, sh I had a... Uh... 1200 uh, you went for the GS. GSA and believe me I will say that riding those South American roads I would not recommend that large a bike uh, most of the folks on the tour with me were on uh, 450s maybe a couple of 600s 
and they did much, much better. So what would be, if you were to go back down again, would you take like a, a 350 or like a CRF 250, or what do you think you would do in South America again? Well, nothing more than 450 yeah. uh, at the most. And you see all the good uh, natives there on their 125s and 150s uh, handling the, sure. all the altitude and all the roads. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, again, you don't need the speed. How many tubes would you take with you? Uh, I took two with me and had ten flats. <laughs> so a tire repair kit, maybe some slime or something like that too, just in case to get well, you to the next it's, town. It's tough on tubeless tires. Well, that's true. Yeah, that makes it's tough it... on the mechanics who change the tubeless tires. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So to kind of wrap up the segment here with uh, all this experience too, I'm wondering if there's a piece because you guys have done a lot of camping too and a lot of traveling and that kind of thing. Is there a piece of gear, camping or not, that uh, you think that everybody should have with you, or should have that with them, rather? Can I answer for Lee? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, a big Agnes. Yeah. <laughs> a big, big Agnes tent. Well, that's just because I have a queen-size air mattress. And you take yeah. that. We take that with you. Yeah, and you need like a 60-liter yeah. <laughs> dry sack to put all that in. Now, can you use like a cycle pump or anything like that to pump it up, or what do you do for the air mattress? It, it came with its own... Uh, Air pump. I got you. Yeah, RT has uh, the 12 volt connector, and then you ruin the ride by wire when you drain the battery down. It's good. <laughs> well, I guess it's either your air mattress or your satellite TV that you haul along with you there as well. What about you, Tom? Uh, where do I begin? Well, anything, I well, guess. You know, if you have any like, general a, like you should have everything you need to do a tire repair with you so you don't spend $800 on a tow truck somewhere. But is there one thing that maybe people wouldn't think about? Yeah, a tire repair kit. You don't think people bring That includes with them? a pump and a gauge. Pump and a gauge. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's something that people sometimes might not think about. But that's, uh, those are all very practical tips, I think, and uh, good for, you know, some of, we have a lot of new listeners out there and a lot of new riders. Um, I know when I first got started, Sound Rider was one of my early resources, one of the things that I found in the Pacific Northwest, and uh, some of that general information really went a, a long way to helping me progress in my riding career, so hopefully we'll have some of our listeners who find this to be helpful as well. The most important thing is to get out there and ride. Just ride. Yep. Even if it's only 100 miles... 50 miles, if that's all the time you have for on a particular afternoon or something, then build up to the longer rides and to a right. multi-day. That's Sorry. it. Okay, so uh, so that was the uh, geezer trash interview. And uh, next up, we're going to have an uh, interview with some of the vendors here at the rally. We'll be right back. Support for the Soundwriters Show is provided in part by... Rich's Custom Seats. Do long days on the road take their toll on your body? That's because stock seats and generic aftermarket seats don't fit anybody. Have your motorcycle seat custom fit to your body. Improve your ergonomic positioning and enjoy long days in the saddle with a Rich's Custom Seat. Just a ferry ride from Seattle. Experience a Rich's Custom Seat today. Hi, this is Manny from Manny's Lonchera, located near the awesome Rowena Curves in the beautiful Moisture, Oregon, and you are listening to the Sound Rider Show. Hi, my name is Steve. I live in Edmonds, and one of my favorite places to ride on my GS adventure is up the Pyramid Pass. Sound Rider Show at the Rally in the Gorge 2016. And, you know, we've got a lot of great riders out here, but we also have some pretty great vendors this year. So let's jump right into it. Usually we would do kind of some longer-form interviews, but I think we're going to talk to a few different guys today. How's that sound, Tom? That sounds good. And let's give uh, Tracy Jeffries a high-five for putting together a really nice roster of vendors this year. Absolutely, Tracy. Knocked it out of the park. Great help this year. And one of those vendors that she brought down is, of course, uh, Harold from Giant Loop. Long-time supporter of the Rally in the Gorge. Say hello, Harold. Hello, hello. This is year seven at Rally in the Gorge for Giant Loop, I think. Nice. That's incredible. So, Harold, 
we're always happy to have you here, of course, right? And uh, we want to always talk a little bit about what your company's doing because you're always doing new things. I understand you're debuting some new products here this year at the Gorge. Yeah, in fact, this is the very first uh, time that anybody in the world's going to get to see our newly uh, redesigned and updated Coyote and Great Basin saddlebags. So tell us a little bit about those saddlebags here because for we've got some other people here. We've got a big crowd tonight, but we've got some people that are listening all over the world now. Tell us a little bit kind of about the uh, the Coyote and uh, what was the other one, the Great Basin? The Great Basin, yeah. right. So when we launched Giant Loop in 2008, uh, we had one product, and it was a horseshoe-shaped saddlebag that sure. wrapped around the uh, tail of a dirt bike or an enduro or dual sport bike, and it, it bolted to the plastics of the bike. And um, so that quickly evolved into what is, became the Coyote saddlebag, right. and then we added the Great Basin saddlebag uh, in less than a year later. And uh, and so since we started the company, both those products have been through some pretty significant yeah. updates and, and Field improvements. Field testing, right? That's well, what it's absolutely. All about. They've been yeah. literally all over the world, ridden on, on right. every continent except Antarctica. We're still working on that one. Well, since they were horseshoe shaped, though, have they ever been used on a horse? Uh, we sometimes have people think that they might make life preservers, but right. I, I don't think that they've been on horses, as far as I know. I anyway. think Giant Loop, though, it's more like an emotional life preserver, right? I mean, it keeps yeah, you up right. right there, right? That's, that's right. <laughs> so what are some of the major changes, though, that people can look out for this year? Well, you know, the, the big uh, change on the design of those bags is that we've uh, replaced the, the big zipper access on the back of them with a, a roll-top design. Okay. Um, more like a classic uh, dry bag style. Like you'd see in Whitewater rafting and that kind of thing right, right? exactly yeah in which fact, is kind of been shown to be more water resistant than zippers which are always tough yeah and it actually a little quicker and easier to get in and out of the bag and, point. and that sort of thing so yeah so you can actually get into the bag and then you roll it up and you stay dry <laughs> that's the next one right the uh the body bag i the think giant, they call yeah, that the one giant there. loop body bag there yeah the tom Marin body bag right <laughs> Well, it sounds like some great stuff, and you know, I wanted to follow up real quickly too on one of your uh, debuts last year, which is now you're a rally raid distributor. A lot of uh, great sort of, I don't know, off road accessories for the CB500X. How's that part of the business going for you? Uh, oh, that's been a really fun project to be involved in, and uh, that that bike, the the rally raid CB500X Adventure, you know, really fills a niche that none of the OEM uh, bike builders are are really making a, a bike that that uh, matches it in terms of of weight it's the lightest uh twin cylinder adventure bike right. that you can get at the moment so and it's gorgeous too and we have that information on your website in addition to the giant loop products right right yeah and what is that website harold uh giantloopmoto.com giantloopmoto.com got to go check that out all right and if you want more information on that cb500x uh product um harold did a really nice podcast on uh, adventure rider radio so you can listen to him talk more in detail there. And everything is online at giantloopmoto.com. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Thanks hey, for thank you, guys. By, Love it. We'll be back next year. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Okay, thanks. All right. Now, next up, we got Mark from Valentine Motor Works. And, Mark, welcome uh, to the podcast again. You were on an interview just a couple of months ago with us, right? Yeah, yeah sure was. Thanks Absolutely, for man. So uh, thanks for coming down. Now, tell us a little bit. Uh, we know kind of Valentine Motor Works. We were talking a little bit off air. Usually, you know, in the summertime, you guys are BMW focused. You and Dana are kind of BMW guys. That's right, yeah. But coming up on the end of summer, we don't want to wish it away too fast, of course, especially with some of these 90-degree days that we've got going on down here. But at the end of summer, you guys kind of take a little bit different angle on your business. Is that right? Yeah, we all slow down. Uh, Everyone, I guess everyone stops riding and only the... uh the diehards. Diehards. That's I right, guess. yeah. You know, it just slims down. So we, uh, we branch out and do kind of the bikes we grew up on, all the finished Japanese and sure. kind of whatever's out there still on the roads. Do we have any year-round riders here? I'm sure we've got a few, right? Almost yeah. everybody. Oh, right yeah. Here. So you yeah. all live in the Pacific Northwest. you got to right. ride year-round. Not shy about that at all. And uh, I was just down at the beginning of the season, actually, uh, and I had you do a little work on my Suzuki, too. Yeah. And uh, appreciate you getting that fixed up. Rode great down here, by the way. Nice oh, little six-hour journey here. here. Um, what else should people know, though? In wintertime, do you have any kind of recommendations for service and that kind of thing to kind of get prepared for the next season, maybe? Well, it, it takes a bit of work to keep your cycle uh, going summer to summer, I guess. Right. It's easier if you ride them all year long. But uh, a couple hints, I guess, is don't overcharge it. Okay. And, uh, you know, fuel spoils, so you need to take the precautions to keep the fuel stable. 
um, or empty. Right. But a couple t- things. The top recommendation would be to ride it year round, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And we get we get enough nice days. I mean, you find yourself riding in those, you know, January, February days when the sun comes out. Do you kind of yeah. think to yourself, this is a good time to get out and exercise? Kinda? The climate's pretty good here. We can, you know, you can tough your way through the winter. Yeah, I think we're definitely uh, pretty fortunate to be up here. Um, how was summertime business overall? We're seeing in Seattle, um, particularly, it's a big European market. Are you seeing more and more like new BMWs? Does it seem to be like it's a pretty uh, steady flow? We get everything. We get old and new. And so uh, summer, we're just slammed. And that's why we only do the BMWs because sure. we have so many. And we hate turning away work. But, of course. Uh, you know, it just there's too much to go around yeah well i'm glad you were able to squeeze me in and uh, we're kind of neighbors in that respect i live just yeah. down the street from you there uh do you have a website that uh, folks can check you out at in well, the greater seattle area there yeah. valentinemotorworks.com you can check us out in our facebook we're kind of more active on the facebook so okay now we know the motorworks part but can you just spell out valentine for the, oh, the valentine too? is spelled funny yeah it's uh v-a-l-l-a-n-t-i-n-e so okay. two l's and two a's it's Every day I go through it, I forget sometimes. You've got the spelling there, and the outside is kind of a, almost a Bavarian theme, too. The shop itself is kind of like an old house. It's got it the is. big timber frames, and you actually have to push your bike in through the front door, right? It goes through the front door. That yeah. building's been there since the 40s at least. So personal tip, uh, take your saddlebags off or your panniers off before you come down and see it, right? That'd be great. Yeah, because you might not be able to fit <laughs> through the door. If you've got a GS no, and you've got these... Wide. If you've got a GS and you've got these fat ones on here, you might have to do a little wrench work before we you can get to the shop. We have to take them off yeah. regardless, and then sometimes we forget to put them back on, so... That's right. Do yourself a favor. Well, appreciate you stopping by, Mark. That's Valentine Motorworks uh, one more time here, and uh, look forward to seeing you throughout the weekend, too, and I'll be seeing you probably this winter as well. All right, great. Thanks. Thank you, sir. All right, who's next up? We've got uh, Eric from That's Ride right. Adventures. That's right, Eric Lang. Hello, hello. Hey, Eric, Thanks how you doing? Thanks yeah, for coming well. in. Missed the past couple of years, but great to be back at the Rally at the, the Gorge. Well, it's nice to have you here, too. And uh, for people who don't know, you are booking and uh, arranging tours in South America predominantly now, right? It started in South America, and we're also in Southern Africa and Europe as well now, too. So, yeah, and an important point about that is it's not just about us taking people on guided tours. We actually right. also do self-guided packages. So if somebody just wants to rent a motorcycle and go on and do their own thing, they can do that through us. You don't so, have to be part of a group. So this is kind of one of those things, you know, where you look out and you see these beautiful pictures. I mean, Patagonia, just gorgeous, right? I mean, you can't find scenery like that anywhere else. It's very unique. And if you want to go on one of these self-guided tours... You can reach out to you. You guys will do the itinerary. You guys will reserve the hotels. And then you can even rent the bike through you guys as well, right? Right. Most people don't have two months or whatever to go on a trip. So to to ship your own motorcycle down to South America for two weeks, it just doesn't make any sense. We already have bikes down there. Because a lot of time, I mean, you're not going to air freight a motorcycle typically, right? It's going to go by sea. Uh, I think you could go either way, but okay. the logistics and cost and risk involved with that, right. when compared to you know renting a bike that's already down there, a KLR650, any of the BMW GS models, sure. it's already down there, so much more cost effective to rent. So can I like rent the bike and then rent, and then sub rent it to somebody else with the peer to peer rental <laughs> sharing? Ultimately, your name was signed on the contract. That's so right. Do whatever. I think we just solved the liability issue. It's whoever yeah. signs the contract yeah. there. Now you mentioned you know down there. And there's one thing that I think kind of sometimes escapes people's minds. We talked about riding all year here, but if you're in the center of the country, if you're in the northeast, or even if you're further up in Canada, uh, seasons play a big difference. And if you go down south to the southern hemisphere and it's December here, it's a lot more like what down there? Opposite seasons. So That's December right. here is kind of like, you know, or December here is like June down there. So opposite seasons, yeah. however, however you want to look at it. It's so basically wintertime here, you're looking at summertime down I live there. in Oregon, but you won't find me in Oregon much during the winter months because in winter here, it's summer down there. Right. And uh, we were so... I'm so you're summer all year long. Perpetual summer. That was the that was my plan I from tell the you beginning. What, it's working out. Making a living doing motorcycles, and you never see. Well, you only see snow when you're up in the uh, in the Patagonian mountains or in the Andes, I guess. Right. Yeah, definitely. The further south you go, you never quite escape the snow. But um, you know, middle if you go all the way down to Tierra del Fuego in in February, which would be the middle of summer down there. Right. Um, you know, you're still going to see snowflakes potentially because you're you know 700 miles from Antarctica at that point. So a pop quiz for you here. Just one question. And maybe you don't know the answer to this, but I'm curious. Alaska to uh, down to the tip of uh, Chile, which is um, what is it? That's Tierra del Fuego, right? The end or uh, 
the well, Tierra del Fuego is right. kind of the bottom of the continent. Uh, technically, there. it's so, Argentina, I guess, at that point. Well, Tierra del Fuego is part Chile, part Argentina. Okay, yeah. um, but how much is Patagonia? What, do you have any idea what the distance would be though from like Alaska for do a straight picture down? the sign down there just right. beyond Ushuaia? I want to say it's. I've, got, I've been there so many yeah. times. I want to say the sign in Bahia La Patilla says eighteen thousand miles or kilometers. I okay. can't remember right now. And, and to, how much? To Prudhoe Bay. A long way. Though. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> how much of that trip is on pavement and how much on dirt? Uh, it, the Patagonia tours we do right now are down to about 50-50 on and off pavement. Oh, so okay. Sure. When I started doing this seven years ago, it was 98% dirt, but that's an important point to make. That's true. You know, some of us sort of crave that natural setting, that dirt feeling, and it you know, it, it, it's a, a factor that has kept a lot of tourism and cars and traffic away from that region, but each year now, we lose about 10% of the Patagonia terrain to installed pavement that's coming right. in. So, Well, South America rapidly developing, much like your business. And where can people find out more about your business? What's the website? www.rideadv.com. Uh, you can find info at rideadv.com if you just want to in, uh, send in and request information. I'll be at the booth out here. You'll see the Sprinter van along Vendor Row and uh, stop by and answer, ask awesome. questions anytime. So if you're here live in the audience, go check out Eric at the booth for Ride Adventures. And if you're listening anywhere in the world, get on the website and check that out. Eric Lang, thank you so much for stopping Thanks by for on the me. Sound Rider Show. Appreciate All it. All right. Thank you, Eric. All right. We're going to take a brief break, and we'll be right back. Support for the Sound Rider Show is provided in part by... South Sound Honda, serving the South Puget Sound region for more than five decades. South Sound Honda, located in Olympia, is your destination for fun. This is Garden Robinette from Trail Tech, makers of Voyager. You're listening to The Sound Rider Show. Hi, this is Carl. I live in Yakima, Washington. One of my favorite places to ride is Northeast Oregon because there's nobody out there. <laughs> Back on the Soundwriter Show, the air conditioner is kicking butt here in the community hall tonight in the Hood River Fairgrounds. And uh, we've got a few more interviews of the vendors who are here. It's really nice to have all these guys in one place at one time so we can get them on the air and find out more about them. That's great because we've got so many vendors here in the Pacific Northwest, so many motorcycle companies, and it's awesome to get the word out. And you talk about the air conditioner kicking butt, but let's say you want to be a kick-butt dirt rider. Who would you go and see, do you think, Tom? I would have to go see the guys up at Dirt First. And it just so happens we have one of them here yeah. with us, right? Yeah. Dirt Bike Motorcycle Safety Training, is that it? Uh, dirt, uh, dirt Bike Safety Training, that's correct. That's it. Jason, welcome to the Sound Rider Show. Thank you for stopping by, and thank you for coming back again. We've had you here for a couple of years at the rally now, right? You have, you have, and it's been great. You guys run a good, uh, good program out here, good rally, and uh, we really appreciate being invited back. Well, and we love having you here for sure. So let's talk to people a little bit about some of the programs that you guys offer because you kind of have a wide range of skill levels, even some individual clinics I overheard. It sounds like you guys have been pretty busy with one-on-one training lately. Is that right? Yeah, oh, yeah. I, um, I had a private lesson with, uh, with the CEO of a, a beer delivering company on Wednesday morning at 5 o'clock in the morning. Wow. Then uh, loaded up the trailer and, <laughs> and drove all the way here. What uh, did you put in the trailer? Is this beer delivery guy got something? No, no, no I wish okay. so. Right. You know, I yeah. did a nice delivery <laughs> to the rally but uh you know uh, right now we kind of get as many uh, dirt bikes in and then we're kind of playing tre- tetris to get all the gear that we sure. need to to make uh, make sure folks have safety gear uh, as we're going through the program now i'm interested with these individual training sessions are you seeing more uh guys riding dual sports or actually people wanting individual training sessions for dirt bikes well um, there's uh, it's it's kind of fifty fifty. You know, some folks want to come and they want to learn how to ride or, or be more efficient with their skills uh, on off road. Right. Or some folks are getting ready for a uh, adventure ride. Sure. And so they want more time uh, devoted to them. So they'll book a, a private lesson, and uh, usually we do uh, anywhere from four to six hours on that private lesson and wow. get them taken care of. So even just outside of the private lessons, because I think if I'm remembering right from your guys' curriculum, you have like 100 level, 200 level, 300 level sort of uh, 
breakdown as far as progressions and classes too, right? That is correct. So kind of like basic riders and then advanced and then some pretty gnarly stuff you can get into into as well with you guys. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah. What are some of the concerns that people have when they first come to you? What are some of the major things that they want to learn? Do they come to you with specifics? Like, you know, I'm going on this ride and I know there's going to be mud or there's going to be loose sand. Like, you've got to teach me how to ride in sand. Or are people more like, you know, I just bought a $20,000 GS and I don't really know what to do with it. Can you kind of put me in a position here? Or absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, we, we get a, a lot of, of both. Uh, okay. And, and so we get the, the new rider that comes to us that's completely freaked out. Right. And we're working towards every exercise at building confidence. And let's face it, 100% of riding is, is, is confidence. That's if true. You, if, you are, if you have confidence, you can do more on the bike. You, you're more confident in each exercise that you build. Right. Uh, and, and Gary LaPlante, it's a great testimony to what he has put together uh, on each exercise uh, in, in line and in place to how we deliver the message for the customer. Because a lot of this stuff is very, uh, well, skills in general, but particularly in motorcycling, it's very sort of pyramid, right? I mean, it's like get your basics down. And then you can do 75% of everything, but then kind of stack on top of that and keep progressing until you reach that point where you can kind of manhandle a 600-pound full-up GS, right? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And our concept is is that uh, when you buy that big GS, and a lot, a lot of these folks are buying them, and then they don't know how to ride them. Sure. And it's a 500-pound motorcycle right. plus. So yeah. we'll, we'll get them to understand, hey, put that aside for the day. Come yeah. ride our dirt bikes. Uh, you know, it's it, it, they're lighter bikes. If right. they put them down, it's not a hundred dollars every time it goes to the ground. If you're lucky, uh, it's only hundred. Where's Mark? He'll tell you a lot more than hundred dollars, right? <laughs> right, yeah. right. So they build those skills and confidence on the little bikes, and it easily transfers to the big bike. And if you want to learn to start to build those skills, what's the good website? Where's a good website for you? Go, excuse me. What's the website to go and find out more about you guys? No problem. It's yeah. uh, www.dirtbikesafetytraining.com. Okay, and you guys have a really good staff of uh, instructors, too. Based a lot from the Gary LaPlante sort of uh, curriculum, uh, he's kind of the guy who's kind of developed this, and now you've got guys who've been, what, with you for 15 years, 10 years? How long have uh, a lot of your instructors been around? Uh, the instructors right now are, are myself and, and my partner, Whitney. Sure. And uh, we are looking to expand our instructors throughout the um, – uh, Pacific Northwest. So uh, okay. Whitney and I had purchased the franchise of uh, Oregon, Washington, Idaho, and Montana. Uh, we've done great with the business this year throughout awesome. our first full year, and we'll be looking for our second uh, year to be expanding into those states. Beautiful. Well, go check them out. Dirt First. Thank you so much, Jason, for being on the show here. Really appreciate hey, it. Thanks for yeah. coming. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Next up. We're going to talk to Lee Block. And, uh, From Lee. Racer Gloves USA. That's right, Racer Gloves USA. Lee, how you doing tonight? I'm doing good. Thanks very much for having me up here. Good. Appreciate you being on the show. Now, Racer Gloves USA, uh, this is a company that I think Racer Gloves is originally out of Austria. Is that right? Uh, Racer is an Austrian company, yes, based in, uh, out of Traun, Austria. Okay. And what's your role here in uh, the greater Pacific Northwest or United States at large? Well, I'm the uh, U.S. importer and distributor for Racer. Okay, so what can you tell us a little bit about the Racer product line? Well, Racer's been making gloves back since the early 90s, I think, and um, they've been known for their fit. Uh, and when I was you know, living in the Bay Area, California, I heard about them quite a bit. Uh, the original person brought them in, I think, around 2006. Sure. And they gained popular right away by uh, the kangaroo palm and uh, some sliders on a race glove, and I heard it from a lot of parts guys. These are the best gloves. They fit the best. And over time, I heard... The other distributor was looking to get out, and I, uh, I picked it up in 2012 and over to Austria. Met nice. them and uh, started doing that. So I'm on my fourth year of doing racer gloves. Well, it sounds like it's been su- successful. And I want to ask you a question here because you said kangaroo palm. Now, I'm not really uh, – I don't have too much experience in racing, but what does that mean? What can you tell the listeners a little bit about Kangaroo having? leather, ounce for ounce, is sure. stronger than cowhide, so they can make it a little bit thinner, which right. is lighter. In a suit, it's lighter. And also, it's uh, um, you have better feel because you have a little bit less less material there, a little bit more supple than than, than cowhide. So a little bit more dexterity, yep. but you're not sacrificing anything as far no, as road no. rash or uh, anything right, like that would right. be concerned. And it's about feel as well too. So you put them on, they feel great. And so here in the United States, do we have uh, just the gloves, or are we talking um, about more products? I just as well? manage the gloves. Racer has a huge catalog. They do all kinds of apparel: men's, women's, leather, uh, textile, uh, rain gear. Uh, so um, I, I, it's a challenge to bring that stuff over, uh, the euro versus sure. the dollar and freight. So we'll, we'll, a little bit at a time. I, I like to f- 
been successful so far focusing on just gloves, and uh, it's, a, it's a quality product, a high-end product. Um, so um, that's, uh, that's how we do it. Well, the, the gloves look great, and now with a company like Racer, I know that the emphasis is on racing gloves, but it looks like a lot that you have on display here, too, would work pretty good for kind of some dual sport riding as yeah, well. It's, yeah, the name, name is deceiving, and I... I, uh, I I ride everything. I ride off-road, uh, dual sport. I have a GS. I sure. road race. So um, there's quite a variety of gloves there. There's probably three here that work for uh, for dual sport riding. Right. I don't really. Is this a glove for a Harley? Is this a glove for a, a BMW? It, it, I can't really classify it. Um, you could have a Harley guy riding a race glove, or, yeah. or, or I have several guys riding GSs with with race gloves. Do you have it's any about, black and orange gloves? Because that's what I need for my Harley. Right. I do. <laughs> Otherwise, I do. I do. I do they do have little tassels? Um, we can add some tassels. We can add tassels. tassels. Yeah. Yeah. Customization add there. Yeah. That's yeah. right. So it's about protection. You know, I, I have uh, – there used to be back in the 80s, there was a uh, – I think it was a helmet commercial. Like if you have a $10 head, wear a $10 helmet. You always get that question, what's the best helmet? Well, the one that fits you the best. True. A glove, uh, I see it with uh, a lot of riders where they've got a $30,000 GS or a, an R1 and they're wearing – you know, awry all the way down, all the top gear, but right. to forget about the hands. So uh, we all think we're not good, ever going to go down, but um, it's it's key. Protection it is. is key it's key. very important to have yeah. a good pair of gloves. I definitely agree with yep. you there. Where can we find out about the uh, the American side anyway, your business? What's the website? Uh, it's racergloveususa.com, and I am based in Morgan Hill, California. Right on. Well, thank you so much for being here, Lee. Thanks for coming up. Great. Thanks very much, guys. Yeah. All right. Russ, come on up. Russ is here from... Uh, Trail Tail. That's it. Trail Tail, which is... Uh, Making... Kind of, go ahead. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting product here. And uh, Russ, I think, uh, if I remember correctly, this is your first year here with us at the Rally in the Gorge, yes, right? Yes, yeah. And you're just coming down from uh, from B.C., just yeah, outside Col- of Vancouver? Uh, no, uh, Kelowna, B.C. That's in the interior. Oh, okay. So it's, you, the, it's where you go to get the good wine. It's just I, about as hot as it is here. Okay, I gotcha. Well, <laughs> no, it's hotter here. It sounds like uh, it sounds like probably kind of a nice trip down anyway, if you mm-hmm. were able to ride down with us here. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about your product here, Trail Tail. So this, and I don't want to miscategorize this, but essentially this is a motorcycle trailer, right? I'm sorry, say it again. This is essentially a motorcycle trailer. Yes, it's a a single-wheeled motorcycle trailer. Sure. uh, Very much a dual sport design. Uh, It is as comfortable uh, climbing up... uh, you know, steep rock cliff mountains as it is rolling down the highway. Right. And we, uh, can, we can see this here, obviously, the people that are live with us. But I want to kind of, if you can give maybe approximate dimensions, because I think sometimes when people hear motorcycle trailer, they think there's a gold wing going down the highway with, like, uh, an airstream behind it, you know. But this is much more compact <laughs> than that. Mm-hmm. Well, it is, as I said, it is single wheel. It, it has a very low center of gravity, and that's what causes it to be able to have the durability it does. It follows in the same track as your motorcycle to a T. Right. Uh, you bend, you turn, it does the exact same thing. Up over logs, the whole nine Absolutely. yards, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It has an aluminum skid plate below it, so if you're going through, if you're using it off-road like a lot of guys do, sure. and you're going through creek beds or over logs or whatever, if your bike can get over it, the trail tail's over there like a snap. And is there any particular bike that this works best with? Do you have any sort of requirements for installation or anything like that? Well... Predominantly, we like to hook to the hollow axle motorcycles, okay. which is the vast majority of motorcycles nowadays. It wasn't uh, 10 years ago when we started. Sure. And that's why we like to say that uh, maybe we're coming into our time now. Right. <laughs> yeah, ahead of the um, curve in that, in yeah, that respect. We, we do actually manufacture some uh, hookups for things like uh, DR, uh, sorry, uh, the KLR, which is a solid axle. Sure. The reason why is because we are, our main business, we're a machine shop business. So we're tool and die, machine shop, and that's why we can build what we build. So this is kind of the experience for you. Did this come like, I have the manufacturing experience, and then one day you're kind of going down on your motorcycle, and you go, you know what? It'd be mm-hmm. great to have you know X, Y, and Z behind me as well. How can I mesh these together and make it work? Well, the inventor of the product, Friesel Stoke, actually, which you can see him on these videos that are running in the far corner sure. all weekend long, um, he's been an avid dirt biker for a long time. He's a family member of mine. And um, he just always wanted to get up uh, to where you couldn't ever get before without beating up his fancy truck. That's true, yeah. And he wanted to take enough fuel and food and whatever he needed to go up there and have a good time. And kind of a good idea, too, I mean, that you can 
you can go out into like a national forest, you can set up a base camp and you can pull everything you need with you, right? You can take the dirt roads and that kind of thing. Yeah. Pitch your tent, you know, get your little gas grill out and all that kind of stuff and then go spend six days just yeah, riding tra- around the, a beautiful The trailer country. disconnects in about 30 seconds or so. And it's just, it's a means of getting your cargo there. In fact, sure. we call it the cargo solution. And um, it's, it's a beautiful looking trailer too. Mm-hmm. The craftsmanship on it, I was checking the one out that you Thank have you. here on, on uh, demo. It looks really great. And you can find out more about you guys at uh, trailtail.com. Is that right? That's correct, yes. Yeah. Yeah. All the way from BC. And, yeah, we're out in the field there with the other vendors. Yeah. And uh, there's a bike and a trailer out there. If you have a mind and want to go for a test drive, do it. Go check them out. Can they do the same thing at your facility, too, up in Canada? I'm sorry, say it again. Do you do test rides up in Canada, too? Absolutely. Yep. Okay, awesome. Yep. Russ Gibson from Trailtail. Thank you so much for being Thank on the Thank you, Russ. Thanks for Thanks coming for down. Thank you, guys. Well, that's a whole uh, lot of stuff. We got one more. We got one more. One more, yeah. Okay. I, I, I called Jesse up here. Come on up here, Jesse. Perfect. Jesse Murphy. Um, we've had Jesse Murphy on the show before, and uh, we know that uh, Jesse teaches some one-on-one training. So if you want one-on-one training... Um, he will ride with you and create the curriculum for you and, and uh, really hone in on what you need to get better at. Uh, he also uh, does some maintenance classes. But today, here at the rally, he did a really nice advanced vision class. And I think that's something that in the fall, anybody who has a group of riders or a club or whatever probably wants to do. Are you going to be doing stuff? Are you available to do those types of clinics in the fall? Yeah, actually I am. Um, you know, any... Uh, like you say, I do a lot of uh, uh, one-on-one custom curriculums. Um, but yeah, any ride group that wants to, to, you know, get a group of riders and do something like the advanced uh, vision clinic I did today, yeah, we can go do that. Do a little bit of workshop stuff inside, then we hit the road and actually go put it to practice out on the street. Now, do you have a couple other sort of presentations like that that we should know about? Um, you know, I've got uh, so. Uh, on the on the writing side, um, got uh, vision. Uh, I've got one on uh, riding big bikes, um, passengers. Uh, but uh, it, a lot of the stuff I do um, is is pretty much custom uh, built. So if someone's like, hey, you know, I, I want to do this, um, then I put it together. Okay, so there'll be some expansion on your website at Truett Motorcycle. Yes. Yes. What's the What's the website? Truetteducation dot com. Okay, Truetteducation dot com. All right. Well, we are going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to have some tips and tricks on the Sound Rider Show. Stick around. Hi, this is Whitney Caberly from Dirt Bike Safety Training, and you're listening to the Sound Rider Show. Hi, I'm Ron Fox. I live on the Kitsap Peninsula in the town of Polsbo. My favorite ride down here is the Vista House. The curves are great, the road is in great shape, and it is fun. Winding things down here on the Sound Rider Show. This September episode live from the Rally in the Gorge. Lots of good stuff today. It was a uh, it was a it was a hell of a good time. I'm glad we had a chance to do this. Yeah, yeah. And you know, we always wind up with some tips and tricks, and uh, we never share those with each other before the last segment here. You want to lead in this month? Yeah, I'll lead in. This one on? comes from All my right. friend Norm Hogan. Norm Hogan. Uh, he he gave this one to me, and uh, I think it's a good one. It's a really good one. Uh, Norm says, hey, listen, when you are riding your motorcycle out in the woods on the Forest Service roads and you see a gate, remember that it's the 21st century. So if you break the gate, chances are there could be cameras up in the trees watching you and taking your license plate down on your dual sport motorcycle. I think that's a great one. Thank you so much for that, Norm. And I think the, also a good point on that, too, if you're going to perform any illicit activity, do it away from the gates, just in case. Or, or take, like, a really long pee. Right. <laughs> by, yeah. by the gate? <laughs> yeah, on the gate. So uh, my uh, tip and trick is kind of a simple one here, but my tip is to take the long way. I rode down here from Seattle today. Uh, did sort of uh, the two-lane highway route around Mount St. Helens and that kind of thing. 
beautiful weather out, uh, some nice shady areas to kind of cool down while you're riding through. And uh, I got to tell you, I enjoyed every minute of it. I was on the road for about six hours today as opposed to about three and a half or four on the super slab. And I will gladly do that on the way back home as well, take that other two hours. It's awesome. And, you know, when you do uh, that type of riding and you say, I want to take the long way, sometimes as you figure it out, it's only like an hour more to go from the gorge up to Seattle. Yeah. Um, Well, Yakima Canyon, that's a perfect example. If you ride your motorcycle up through Yakima Canyon instead of going on the boring interstate, you're adding about 10 or 15 minutes road time to your trip and man you get some really nice scenery as opposed to just looking at the sagebrush out there to the east of Yakima Canyon if you take the interstate so it's just, you know, it's not always that much longer that's true definitely which is another good reason uh, maybe another tip to uh, get one of those atlases and pour over that every once in a while because you start to pick up some pretty good routes to go to maybe some of your regular destinations. Exactly. All right. Well, it's been a good show, and uh, we're looking forward to getting this up online as soon as we can. Absolutely. And uh, before we leave, I want to just say ride safe, ride well, and don't ride like my mother. And don't ride like my mother. Thank you so much for joining us here at the Rally in the Gorge, and we will see you in October. The Sound Rider Show was made possible by today's sponsors and the patience of everyone else involved, which is not to say we're doctors. Reproduction of this program in part or in whole is not legal without the express written consent of the podcast owner. But please be sure to share the link with all your Facebook friends. This program is a production of mixed media. The content and views of today's guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of any major media conglomerate anywhere else in the world including CBS, NBC, ABC, MotoGP, the BBC, PBS, NPR, the Discovery Network, or the Cartoon Channel. See you next time on the Sound Rider Show.